So our scripture this morning is the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flaming fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? And when the Lord saw that he had come over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I know about their suffering. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. The Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, so you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Very impressive, Walter. You pronounced every one of those perfectly. That's not easy. Well, this morning we're beginning a new series uh, called Answering the Call, Milestones in the Life of Moses. And more specifically this morning, we're talking about answering the call, what it takes. And you might want to follow along in your bulletin if you want. You don't have to. But we're talking about when God is calling you to do something, to change something, to follow his leading in some way, because there's no doubt in my mind, and I'm not saying this to be dramatic, there's no doubt in my mind that God is trying to get your attention about something. If I were to ask you what is it that he's trying to get in terms of your attention, what would it be? Well, that's what we're talking about today, and we're just going to jump right into it. What does it mean to really be uh, willing to answer God's call? What does it take? Well, first of all, be attentive. Be attentive. Let's read Exodus 3, 1 through 3, one more time. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Now, let's back up. What is Moses' station in life at this point? Well, you really got to go back 40 years before. You remember that scene in his life where he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and Moses is so enraged that he kills him. And because he kills him and people find out about it, he flees Egypt and goes far, far away, leaves the comfortable life of being in Pharaoh's palace, Pharaoh's house. And for the next 40 years, it's so different from his first 40 years. Think about that. First 40 years, he was living in comfort and affluence, wonderful life, eating at the king's table, you know, piloting the king's boat down the Nile, uh, driving the chariot of the Pharaoh, doing that on a regular basis. Every morning, he was bathed and barbered and manicured as they were back then. He lived in the palace in a room called the Adoration of the Pharaoh, which was one of the most opulent rooms in all of the kingdom. That's his first 40 years. What a flip with the second 40 years. Here he is, tending sheep. 
He goes from the palace to the pasture, really more often than not from the palace to the desert. Forty years tending sheep, really as an assistant shepherd under his father-in-law, whose name is Jethro. That just makes the, you know, I think of Beverly Hillbillies. Think of his resume. Ex-prince, 40 years as assistant shepherd. That's it. And, and so he's really living more or less a dull life, a dull retirement. And because of that, Moses could have been dulled to any spiritual revelation, dulled to seeing and, and answering any kind of call that might be given his way by God himself. He could have been really inattentive, even with a burning bush. You know, speaking of attentiveness, I want us to take a test here. And if you talk to anybody in the first service, don't, don't tell. But, but I want us to dim the lights. Let's take the lights down. Don't fall asleep or anything. And I want you to watch this video, and I want to see how attentive you are. And ba basically what you're doing is you're trying to see how many passes are being made by one of these teams, okay? And, and the key is see if you can count how many passes are made. That's the key. See how attentive you are with this. Okay. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Okay, how many? 13, very good. Give yourself a hand. Oh, that was a good smattering of applause. But let me ask you this. How many of you saw the dancing bear? I see one. Have you seen this before? Oh, okay. Well, okay. Keep your hand. If you've never seen this before, how many of y'all saw the dancing bear? The moonwalking bear. Let's watch. The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? Okay. Did you see the moonwalking bear that time? Okay. What's going on there? Well, uh, it's a psychological phenomenon called inattentional blindness. And at least 50% of the people who see that for the first time don't see it. How many of y'all didn't see the bear the first time? I didn't. I was really proud of myself that I got 13 right. Yeah. Did you see the, the moonwalking bear, as he said? I didn't see him. Well, that says a lot about us. It's a phenomenon, again, the psychologist called inattentional blindness, and it's when we miss certain things that we're not focused on, especially when it's not expected. Well, something unexpected happens to Moses, doesn't it? And the good news is he pays attention. You know, he saw something that others might miss. Now, you might say, how could somebody else miss a burning bush? Well, most of you missed a dancing bear, didn't you? So think about that. Maybe 50% of the shepherds... Uh, uh, who walked by didn't see a burning bush. That's one thing I've always wondered about. I, I wonder if that burning bush had, had been burning for quite some time. We don't know. You know, uh, I wonder if other people passed it before Moses did, and they were so hung up on watching their sheep and being worried about predators to the sheep that they didn't even notice the burning bush. 
But psychologists talk about a particular form of inattentional blindness, and it's inattentional blindness by choice. We see something, but we choose not to respond to it, whether out of apathy or selfishness, uh, out of inconvenience or discomfort. We don't want to be attentive to it because it's too hard. You know, the easiest way to avoid, gosh, pain or tragedy or injustice or oppression it's just to choose not to notice it, right? You know, if Moses had ignored the bush, think about it, it would have saved him a lot of years of traveling around nomadically in the wilderness. But thanks be to God, Moses was attentive. And think about the impact that had on the kingdom of God, even to this day. And think about it. He sees this burning bush. He has no idea that his life is never going to be the same. He never expected that. He never expected this was going to be the last day he would be a shepherd. Well, you know, in some ways, this could be the last day for you with something you had not expected. Uh, Last Wednesday, uh, we honored uh, firefighters at our Wednesday night meal, which I thought was so cool. Mountain Brook firefighters were there. And it reminded me earlier in the week, I always watched the, the documentary 9-11, which was made by those two young French people who thought that they were just making a documentary about firefighters in New York City. This is just a few seconds before uh, the plane goes above them and hits the North Tower up in New York City. And this guy, his, his head is down there looking at a gas leak. He said, you know, it was such a routine day. We were looking at this gas leak, and all of a sudden we looked up, and 9-11 started. When he, and he, I remember him saying, when I got up that morning and was eating breakfast, I had no idea that all of our lives would be changed forever. Everything would be changed and life is that way often, isn't it? But, but the good thing is this morning, if you're attentive to God, this could be a change day for you in the best of ways. It might seem like an ordinary day, but you never know. It might be the last day that you have to really deal with a certain sin in your life. You might give up a certain habit in your life. You might give up being in this spiritual rut or emotional rut in which you have found yourself. It might be you uh, needing to give up on a certain relationship and move on because it's keeping you away from God. Or it might be just a cynical phase you've been in, but you know what? This could be that certain day that you didn't realize it was going to be, but this is the day that's going to change something about you. You know, if it can happen to an 80-year-old shepherd who is a murderer and a stammerer, it can happen to you. If I were to ask you, is there one thing in your life right now, I don't even need to ask it in the form of a question. Let me just say, like preachers do, and I know I'm sounding like an old school preacher, but there's no doubt in my mind that there is something in your life right now that God is telling you to change. There's something he's calling you to do, whether it's to change something, whether it's to do something, whether it's to reach out in a certain way. There's no doubt in my mind he's calling you to do something. He's calling you. And he's challenging you to answer that call. And that takes us to the second of this simple outline. Not just be attentive, but be the answer. Let's read verse 4 in Exodus chapter 3. I love this. And you've got to look at it closely. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied, Stephen Chu is a friend of mine. He's the chair of the Department of Psychology at Sanford University. He's an award-winning teacher. He's won the Buchanan Teaching Award at Sanford. Later on, the American Psychological Association named him Professor of Psychology of the Year. He, and then he was voted College Professor of the Year 
went to the White House. The president gave him uh, this big honor. It was just a cool thing. And Stephen's just a great guy, very humble, but obviously very brilliant and a marvelous teacher. One time he gave a faculty address, and in the midst of that sort of scholarly address, he talked about this very passage in this very verse, and I thought it was so cool. Because it's interesting, he said, you know, when Moses saw the burning bush, he could have chosen to ignore it. It could have been inattentional blindness by choice. Because he knew somehow, I'm sure, that there was some risk in going over and paying attention to this thing. Even though it had nothing to do with sheep or predators of the sheep, he decided to step aside and go over to the burning bush. And notice in this verse... Only when Moses chose to turn aside and go to the bush did God speak to him. You follow me? God didn't speak to Moses until Moses took the initiative. I think that's a really important point, very profound insight. And that's what we need to do more. Pay attention to signs from God, callings from God, and take the initiative to consider those callings, and even more so to act upon them. He tells us what he wants us to do, but are we willing to? To do it. Let's read verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord told him, and here's what he's calling him about. The Lord said to him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own and spa- fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I am sure when Moses heard God say this at the burning bush, he got excited. It's like, oh man, finally, I know what those Hebrews are going through back there in Egyptian slavery. I have seen the starvation. I've seen children suffering. I got so upset one time with a slave that was being abused that I killed the Egyptian who was hurting him. This is great. I have seen the pain. I have seen the injustice. Finally, God, you're going to come down. This is great. You go, God. Sick him, God. And I'm sure he is very, very excited. But let me read verses 8 and 10 together. First of all, it says, So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt in their own fertile and spacious land. Let me go down to verse 10. Now, go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. No doubt in my mind, Moses said, what? What's this you stuff? What's this you? But you said you were going to come down. What are you calling me to do it for? You said you were going to come down. Uh, we have deacons meeting tonight. And, and every deacons meeting at the end of uh, the meeting, we spend a substantive amount of time in prayer. We get in small circle groups, maybe four or five people, and we pray for specific matters of this church and uh, for other people, other things going on in the world. And we do that. And it's wonderful to be in that room and you hear people praying, and it always strengthens me. It lifts me up. And last time I, I, I was in a little group with Marla Quartz, who's sitting over here. And, and, and Marla, I love to be around Marla when she prays because her prayers are always so sincere and they're always eloquent. And she was praying very thoughtfully about something. And I remember she said this phrase, and I thought, wow. And she just said, I, I just pray that we might be the answer to our own prayers. I thought, oh, that's good. Help us to be the answer to our own prayers. And when we finished praying, all the rest of us in the group were like, that was good. Where'd you get that? (laughs) It was wonderful. Because often I think we want God to do what he wants us to do. You with me? 
We want God to do what he really wants us to do. Shane Claiborne, who's a wonderful Christian activist these days, puts it this way, prayer is not so much about convincing God to do what we want God to do as it is about convincing ourselves to do what God wants us to do. A lot of times we need to be the answer to even the prayers that we utter or the ones that we hear from other people in need. And like many of us, though, Moses wants to uh, practice inattentional blindness by choice. He don't want to mess with it. He surely didn't want to mess it with it with God at first. He had all these objections. Let's look at some of these objections real quickly, and let's do them alliteratively because we're Baptist, you know. First of all, inadequacy. You know, basically he said, who am I that I should go do this, God? And God said, don't worry, I'll be with you. And then he pleads ignorance, secondly. Well, well, who should I say sent me when I go and tell them that they're supposed to, you know, get out, get out of Egypt? Well, tell them I am sent you. You see, he gives them the name of Yahweh. I am, which it, it really means there, Yahweh, it means uh, I am who I am, I was who I was, I will be who I will be. In other words, the Lord of all things, the sovereign God of all the universe will be with you and on your side. I'm the one who sent you. But then he argues from the point of incredibility. If you go to chapter 4, verse 1, he says, you know, what if they don't believe what I'm saying? What if they don't believe me? What happens then? What happens to me? And then God basically authenticates a miracle right in front of him. What's that in your hand? Oh, it's a staff. Put it on the ground. It becomes a what? Snake. Picks it back up. It's a staff again. It's like God's telling him, I I think I can handle this. I think I can handle Pharaoh. You know, and and really, in all seriousness, you know, God's never going to lead us into doing anything that he's not going to resource us and give us the wherewithal to do whatever it is that he's calling us to do. And he even empowered Moses in that way. Moses was worried about his poor speech. Obviously, he worked on that, and God worked through him on that because his next argument was uh, that he was inarticulate. But along the way, even as you read Exodus and Numbers and and Deuteronomy, you see that he becomes a better communicator. By the time you get to the New Testament, read Acts 7.22. The great articulate orator Stephen actually describes Moses as a man who was great with words. So God gave him the wherewithal, empowered him, equipped him with that. So God is just shooting all of these arguments down. Finally, Moses just argues from the... uh, from the point of uh, insubordination, he just says, you know, not me, you know, send my brother. There's a wonderful book written in the 80s, I remember, and I, all I remember is the title, and it was, Here Am I, Send Aaron. I always loved that. Uh, he wants Aaron to go, don't get me involved in it. Well, all of these objections get shot down effortlessly by God, and God wins out. He basically says, Moses, you're to be the answer to your own prayers and the prayers of all those people back in Egyptian bondage. So I wonder how he's calling you to be the answer to your own prayers. Something that you need to take care of yourself. What is it he wants you to do? The easiest thing would be to turn away from it, turn away from that burning bush, you know, the way that God is calling you to do something, to change something, to be led towards something. But he's calling you to that. There's no doubt in my mind there is something in your life that he's calling you not just to give attention to but to act on it. And let me just ask you this. Do you trust that God is going to work through you when you commit to doing whatever that is? What did Paul say in Galatians 2? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who what? Does anybody know? Lives in me. And he lives in us in what form? Through the power of the Spirit. You know, we were talking about this. We're doing this equipping group thing right now um, uh, on when, when God's Spirit moves. And I've really become intrigued by that. And to, to be real honest, this more I talk with staff and other people here, I think next year's um, emphasis is going to be somehow related to the Spirit, Holy Spirit. 
And I've thought about that a lot lately, and God has planted this in my heart, and you all know me well enough. If I say God's planted something in my heart, I'm not, I don't talk that way a lot, but there's no doubt in my mind that he has. Because I want to learn more about the reality of, of the Spirit residing in me. You know, when, when I became a Christian, I became the Holy Spirit's address. But do I really believe that and act in that way? How many of y'all know what this little uh, thing means, WWJD? Anybody know? What does it mean? What would Jesus do? How many of y'all ever even wore a bracelet that said it? I mean, it's, it, and it's a wonderful statement, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And I was, in, in a time of prayer uh, a number of days ago, I started thinking about that, and I thought, you know, and I started thinking about the Holy Spirit because I thought, what would Jesus do? And, and every time I have thought about that, I, I, I think about there's Jesus over here, over there, and I'm trying to walk in his footsteps and, 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 and do what Jesus did and what he would do today. And this may seem real simple to you guys, but, but it was fascinating to me because I thought about that. Yeah, what would Jesus do? And Jesus is right there, and I'm kind of picturing Jesus, and I'm wanting to do you know, what, what he would do in this situation. And yet I started thinking, wow, but I don't have to picture him over here. You know, He resides in me through the power of the Spirit. And, and, and so I kind of started moving from WWJD to, go ahead and put it up. No, this isn't going to be our theme next year, WWTSDTM. What would the Spirit do through me? But in all seriousness, I started thinking about that because it's not just me trying to follow this Jesus who's out there. That's what's so cool about that. He said it's going to be better for you all if I leave because then you're going to realize that the Spirit is everywhere. You don't have to imagine me physically in human form you know, I'm going to be residing right here inside you. And for some reason, that has really spoken to me. It really, really has spoken to my soul. You know, what would the Spirit do through me? Or we could have a you on the end. What would the Spirit do through us? I want us to really explore that. That's kind of scary for some of us Baptists. Oh, we're going to, how, how Holy Spirit-oriented are we going to be? Yeah, we're not going to wind up going nutty Pentecostal, but we're going to explore it. Um, but but I guess I'm just asking you, when was the last time you really realized the Holy Spirit was in you and can work in and through you and that it empowers you to live more like Jesus does? You know, maybe it's time for you to step out and be a vessel of the Spirit and live in that way and realize that the Spirit is within you. And if you do that, you can do some amazing things and live a more amazingly fruit-filled life. So God's trying to get your attention, no doubt. The question is, will you turn to him and answer? And I don't know what it is. It could be getting more involved in, you know, in missions with a mission trip or some ministry downtown, or it might be reaching out to somebody in your neighborhood. It might be being a witness to somebody who's hard to be a witness to at school or at work, wherever it might be. It might be a distant family member you're having to deal with. It might be a relationship that needs to you know, be shored up as far as its spiritual commitments, whatever it might be. But he's calling you to do that. And the issue with that is it can be awkward but we've talked about that. Awkward is the Christian way, and that really leads us to the third point. To answer the call of God with whatever he's calling you to do right now, whatever he's calling you to change, yeah, you've got to be attentive, just like Moses was to the burning bush. You've got to be the answer yourself and do something about it. But as you do something about it, you've got to know it's going to be awkward. And that's what the life of faith is about. We are not really members of this earth. We are just passing through. Peter said we are resident aliens. We live by a different kingdom. What did Jesus himself say about the kingdom? My kingdom is not of, what did he say, this world? 
So as we stumble along doing everything we can to be witnesses for him, yeah, it's going to get awkward sometimes. I think for us, we fear the awkwardness in part because of rejection, fearing rejection. I think even more, though, for people like you and me who are go-getters, we fear failure. That's even the bigger thing. We fear failure. But again, we've got to recognize (laughs) that failure is a part of it. Uh, There's no need to fear it. It's to embrace it because that's what leads to success, as you know. Uh, That's how you wind up succeeding. But let me take it a step further. We need to redefine success in in terms of doing God's will instead of meeting those standards that we set for ourselves or what the world sets for us. It's really about being faithful. It's not about how effective we are. And yeah, we want to be effective, but even more than that, we want to be faithful. You know, I think it says in the Word of God, you know, when we meet Jesus face to face for the first time, what will he say? Well done, good and successful servant. Well done, good and problem-solving servant. Well done, good and productive servant. No, what is he going to say? Well done, good and... Oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Being faithful, not letting it be defined by yourself, by other people, by the world. Being faithful is the key. You know, by the world's standards, Moses' life in many ways was a failure. But not by God's perception of it all. In fact, he gave up a lot. (laughs) He gave up the cushiness of this other life. And, And it could have seen by a lot of people in the world as such a failure And yet he gave up all these things, and because of that he was faithful. Let's go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 24, 27. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, he refused all that great stuff about being the son of a Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. Look at what he chose there. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. He never gave up. And he chose the awkward way, the uncomfortable way. And because of that, he was a success in God's eyes because he was faithful. Obeying God's call is awkward. We just got to throw that out there. But when we do it, we're succeeding. We're not failing. And let me, let me offer a great way for you to go about it. And if you don't remember anything else I say, remember this, because I think this is helpful. I read a book a long time ago, Your God is Too Safe, by a guy named Mark Buchanan. And, and Mark shows that there's a difference between living by expectation and living by expectancy. Expectation and expectancy. He says our lives should be lived in expectancy, not expectation. He said expectation you know, tends to dictate the terms as to what's going on. You know, we expect things to work out and work out quickly and efficiently, and when it doesn't, we think it's a failure. But when we live in expectancy, we don't dictate the terms. We just are faithful to God and say, come what may, God, not my will but yours. I'm going to be as faithful as I can and open to you, and no matter how I stumble along during this mission trip that gets complicated and has all these setbacks or whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm glorifying you, and my heart wants to glorify you, and because of that, I have this wonderful spirit of expectancy. I'm not going to expect these things to happen. That happens a lot. You know, you go on a mission trip or you do some ministry, you expect all these lives to be changed and everything. Sometimes it doesn't happen. 
At least you don't see it happen. You could well have planted seeds for it, but you don't see it happen. Oh, it was a failure. No, it was not if you went and were willing to feel awkward inside, but you pressed on just like Moses did because he was putting his faith in the invisible God. That's what matters. Being willing to say, thy will be done, which, and I know I love this guy. I talk about this guy like I talk about South Africa. William Carey, rock star, superstar, uh, missionary. Took him eight years before he baptized a new believer, doing eight years and, and nothing happening. Well, by the world standards anyway. William Carey was just being faithful. He finally baptized somebody eight years later. But this is the, the, the quote he's best known for. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And I thought about that after reading Buchanan's book because really what he's saying is what? Expect great things with expectancy and be faithful. And God is going to bless that. Don't put your own expectations on it. Don't put others' expectations on it. Just go in with expectancy that I am glorifying God and God is on the move and God's going to move in ways I will never see. Thanks be to God. That was William Carey. Okay, finally got my convert eight years later and then things started to roll and his faithfulness was so blessed. Again, it was the faithfulness itself which was blessed. Well, Let's close it with this image of the burning bush again because I think the burning bush is a beautiful sign that tells us what we got to burn without consuming. You know, it goes really to our theme of fanning the flame, which we've been talking about this year uh, based on the passage in 1 Timothy. And, and I thought about that, you know, this with the burning bush and fanning the flame. And I had not come across this particular prayer of Jim Elliott, and I know I've quoted Jim Elliott before, the great uh, 20th century martyr. If you've uh, seen the movie, um, oh, through the, no, the book is Through the Gates of Splendor. What's the movie? End of the Spear. Great movie. You know, true story. Amazing, amazing prophetic guy. Went to Wheaton College and then became a missionary down in, in South America and was martyred, basically, along with about six other guys. But I love this prayer, he said, and I hope you can see it. It says, God, he's talking about God here. God makes his ministers a flame of fire. Am I ignitable? God, deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. I love that. God, deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I may be aflame. But flame is transient, often short-lived. Canst thou bear this, my soul, short life? Make me thy fuel, flame of God. Make me thy fuel. Do you realize you are ignitable fuel? You are. The Spirit resides within, and it can be ignited. And when that happens, you're going to go through points of awkwardness. But you know what? It's what he calls us to do. And in the end, and even at present, he is glorified because of it. So let's pray together. Help us to pay better attention to your calling to us, O God. No doubt there is something in our life right now that you're calling us to do, to change, Maybe it's to reach out to someone, whatever, whatever it might be. There's something in our life. Maybe something we need to give up. Maybe it's a, a sin, a habit. Maybe it's a struggle we need to give over to you and just lay at your feet. Whatever, whatever it might be. You're calling us to do that today. We pray that this could be a day that we were not expecting. When we got up in the morning, we didn't think, you know, I didn't think I'd leave that there at the church today. But you know what? That's what he wants me to do, and that's what I did. I want you to take just a moment and in silent prayer, consider prayerfully what comes to the surface of your soul 
that God wants you to give over to him, some calling that he has for you. Can you do that right now? these things in your name. Amen. 